Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The U.S. continues to apply pressure, sanctioning four Ukrainians for waging a Russian influence effort inside the country, okaying Baltic countries to send U.S.-made weaponry to the Ukrainian military. For its part, Russia denies it has any intention of invading, saying it's the U.S. and West who are causing their own menacing global problems. We are convinced that the goal of this campaign is to create a cover for their own large-scale provocations, which may have tragic consequences for global security. What are they saying now? Russia has something like 150,000 troops and all the armament that goes with it on the border there with Ukraine and certainly looking like they're going to invade. This is from uh, pretty recently. Russian troops have officially arrived in the Belarusian town of Yelsk, which is only 10 miles from Ukraine. A local news outlet made a short story about it there. Um Michael McFowl, uh, who is a House Republican representative on the Foreign Relations Committee, thought that was an ominous sign. So they're now within 10 miles of the border on that side. Uh, they have Ukraine surrounded on three sides. And um, I am uh, I do not think World War III is going to come out of this, even if Russia invades. Uh, but I do think it's a really big deal. It would be the first time a country has invaded another country like this since World War II. And does that, do they do it? Are they allowed to pull it off? And does that send the signal to other belligerents, China and whoever else, that, okay, the old rules are back. If you're a big, tough guy, you get to take what's next to you. The world's not going to do anything about it. I think that's a real problem. Yeah, it is. And just in terms of Europe, uh, to begin erasing borders uh, by force, it's got a short-term effect, obviously, but then what happens when Putin dies, as he will at some point, or his regime goes away, or whatever? Those conquered territories ain't so excited about having been conquered, in some cases, and say, uh, we want the borders to be back the way they were. They will be backed by various countries in that effort. They will be opposed by other countries in those efforts, and it will be, it could certainly be a full-on scrap for who gets what land like it's, you know, 18, 1900s again. It could be quite the battle if Russia does invade, whether we get involved or not. And we're, we're, we're not going to get any troops involved. I mean, that's not even, nobody's suggesting that's on the table. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Kiev waits for a, a Russian invasion. Poles find at least one-third of Ukrainians are ready to take up arms to resist. One-third of the population says, I'm willing to actually fight. Wow. That's something. And that yeah. number could grow if you start seeing neighbors, friends, and family being wounded or killed. Mm-hmm. It's a scary time here in Ukraine, writes reporter Nolan Peterson, who's in Kiev. That's saying something because the past eight years have not been easy. While covering this war since 2014, I've seen combat of intensity greater than anything I experienced as a U.S. Air Force special operations pilot in Iraq and Afghanistan, as well as what I witnessed as a journalist in both of those wars. We have been ignoring what's going on, what has been going on for the last eight years. Part of it is the well, part of it is Americans don't care about. Uh, foreign news just don't care. Uh, part of it is this happened under Obama's watch, so it wasn't real comfortable to to report on the fact that you know it was a real shooting war. Fourteen thousand mm-hmm. people have died in uh, in this battle. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would point out it's of limited significance, honestly, to the American people in their day to day lives. Gotcha. 
Heavy artillery, rocket attacks, trench warfare, a civilian airliner shot from the sky. In September of 2014, I witnessed tank combat outside the coastal city of Maripol. Today, Ukrainian troops remain in daily combat against a combined force of Russian regulars and local conscripts drawn from the Russian-occupied territory in eastern Ukraine. An uneasy stalemate has lasted for years, yet with two of Europe's largest land armies trading fire every day, there has always been the chance that this limited trench war could escalate into a far bigger and deadlier disaster. Today, we are on the verge of that nightmare scenario. And then he goes on to say, The news that Russian troops have entered Belarus, as we just uh, mentioned, is a chilling indication of the possible size and scope of of an offensive that may only be weeks away. A Russian offensive to encircle Ukraine's capital now looks like a realistic possibility. Man, we have not seen something like this on the planet since World War II, where a power as big as Russia would actually move in and take the capital of another big country. Yeah, or at least lay siege to it until it got what it wanted at the negotiating table. Ukraine has about the same population as uh, California. Mid-30s millions of people. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a good size, productive little country, definitely. Lovely scenery. Uh, you know, some of the most overword, uh, overused uh, words in diplomacy and, and coverage of it, you know, n- norms and provocative and stability, threatens the stability, blah, blah, blah. But I'm thinking more about um, about some of the Baltic states in particular. And if it... For a long time, and and horse-faced John Kerry made an idiotic reference to this once when Putin moved on the Crimea. He said, that's a 19th century uh, maneuver. What do you call it? 19th century act in the 21st century world. And, you know, that was a useless thing to say, but it did kind of make a point that you had times in history when snatching up territory at the point of a tank was done. Then you had times in history where it was unthinkable, particularly in in parts of the world that are stable like Europe. And if it becomes at least semi-normal, and say Putin dies or whatever, but the next guy in Russia decides not just Ukraine, but Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, you know, countries like that, and and just various uh, former Soviet uh, uh, sphere of influence places, that could become an absolutely unstable, blood-soaked couple of decades. You know, I hope it doesn't, but it could. Well, that's the history of the world. That's what I was talking about the other day. The history of the world is not this last however many years of world order and and, uh, mostly peace. That's not the way the world has worked. So unless you think human nature has changed and all of history has changed, law of averages, we're going back to a more blood-soaked era. And so, like, Tucker Carlson, for whatever reason, is just uh, just trying to convince his audience that this is a meaningless little border dispute. And Eastern Europe has nothing to do with the United States. And then, for some reason, he always goes to, it's not worth sending Americans to fight and die. Nobody's proposing that. So I'm not sure why he always argues against that. Uh, but, yeah, it could absolutely destabilize Europe for decades, which would be enormously expensive to the world economy, which perhaps you've noticed is kind of vulnerable to big shocks. So uh, raising the minimum wage, various places, uh, again, a topic. Uh, Wiping out college student loan debt, again, on the table, apparently. Uh, Should at least touch on those. Ah. Ah. Some of these things, I think, are just to whip up interest and and contributions. And I hope you're right. 
just the, the latest uh, round in the performative politics on the left has convinced me that they don't even hope to get this stuff done, oh, yeah. some of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got a note on that in fundraising and everything like that we ought to hit. But anyway, our text line is 415-295-KFTC. The Armstrong and Getty Show. They're not seeing any flakes, but wet roads, water main breaks. Oh, 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 my, oh my gosh. I just got hit by a car, but I'm okay. I just got hit by a car, but I'm well, okay, Tim. That's the first I'm, I'm okay. on TV, Jory. We're all good. I'm okay. Yeah, you know, that's live TV for you. It's all good. I actually got hit by a car in college, too, just like that. Wow. I am so glad I'm okay. It's uh, one sure woman you're band. Okay, We're good, Tim. Ma'am, you, sure okay? you are so sweet, and you are okay. It is all good. You know, it's my last week on the job, and I think this would happen. That woman was so nice, though. She didn't mean to. It was an accident. I know it was, and I'm okay. Everything's fine. Well, there's a lot there. Well, yes, there is, Jack. <laughs> Her, her co-host, of course, who handled it the way off. Can you play just the first part again? Because I love his first reaction. Well, that's Tim, the anchor. They're not seeing any flakes, but wet roads, water main breaks. Oh, oh, my, oh, my, oh my gosh. I just got hit by a car, but I'm okay. I just got hit by a car, but I'm well, okay, Tim. That's the first um, for I'm you okay. on TV, Jory. Woo! So, We're all done. So that's the first for you on TV, Jory. <laughs> No, oh my God, or any you know any normal human emotion. Nope. No, TV are you anchor. sure you're all right, Jory? <laughs> TV anchor, you know, robot voice. And the then hazards I li- of live TV. And I, li- I like her saying toward the end, I know it was an accident. Oh, that's nice. You, you don't think that she intentionally was trying to run you over? <laughs> Out of hatred of local TV news. No, my understanding was that she was reporting on icy roads, and the car just slid and slid and slid and... Mm-hmm. And uh, creased her hip, as they say. And then kind of funny that she says, well, it's the second time I've been hit by a car. I got hit by a car in college, too. So, yeah. And luckily, it's my last week on the job. Uh, your last week, Jory? Unbelievable. <laughs> 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 oh, God dang it. What is it with TV people? The radio person would say, holy crap, what just happened? Are you all right? Where'd, where'd the car come from? How did it end up hitting you? Good Lord. Well, that's live TV for you, Jory. Are you going to fight him? Fight him! Fight him! Fight throw her. dogs! Chick fight! Chick fight! <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, we got this text. I need to read. Is it weird that a bat out of hell is what killed Meatloaf? That's pretty good. Wow, word, friend. Well crafted. Word is the COVID got Meatloaf the singer. Wow. Wow. A bat out of hell. Makes you stop and think, doesn't it? It was... So anyway, oh, uh, Major Mike Lyons, friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, love Mike Lyons, tweeted, the first concert I attended, Rockland Community College, New York, in the 70s, Meatloaf, great showman. Awesome. He, he was that, and he made it safer for not skinny people to make rock and roll. Wore the tuxedo shirt with the ruffles under his jacket. Oh, often with a rose in hand. It's a nice go. touch. I never went with that myself. So I've been uh, following, we've been following the story of transgender swimmer Leah Thomas at the University of Pennsylvania. This is the big, huge former dude who's whooping up on all the girls in the pool. And there's a certain segment of society that doesn't understand how ludicrous that was. Do you remember 
I brought you the story uh, several days ago that she got beat in a three-way meet by a Yale swimmer who was also transgender. Correct. But a female-to-male transgender person who was allowed to keep swimming, having just had her breasts removed because she hadn't started hormone treatments yet. And I stopped and said, that's odd. Yeah, it's surprising. She must just be really, really good. Yeah, maybe. Well, one of Leah Thomas's teammates at the UPenn women's swimming team said she believes her transgender teammate colluded with the Yale ah, transgender athlete so they could lose. Right. She could lose to prove a point. Right. There you go. Now that makes sense. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Okay. Yeah, Thomas, who's been shattering women's team records, uh, has become a lightning rod, previously competed as a man for three seasons at UPenn. Her biological female told OutKick, on condition of anonymity, that she believes Thomas and Hennig, the Yale swimmer, hatched a plan during the recent meet. Looking at Leah's time, I don't think she was trying. Okay. I know yeah. I know they're friends, and I know they were talking before the meet. I think yeah. she let her win to prove the point. Oh, see, a female to male beat me. Yep, that's exactly what happened. And uh, I, don't, I don't know anything about the times, but if she's stating there, because that Leah has been beating people in some cases by like 30 seconds. I don't know if you watch swimming, but that's ridiculous. Like in a marathon, you might beat somebody by 30 seconds. Not normally in a swim competition, but that's a much faster she is formerly he. I absolutely could believe that they got together to make a political point. Well, uh, let's take a look at the clock, Jack. Uh, Hennig, that's the Yale gal who will soon be on team uh, dude. We, we, um, we should have our colleague Mike Slater on. He was a Yale swimmer. I'll be damned. He can talk all about this. He's always been a fellow, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, he has. I was just curious. Um, that was he, Joe asking that, Mike. You can well, talk to him about that later. I mean, he's ridiculously handsome. That's true. He's a pretty man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so this Hennig character from Yale won the freestyle, 100 um, freestyle, with a time of 49.57. Okay, uh, and I'll don't you don't have to memorize the numbers. Leah Thomas... Touched the wall 3.3 seconds later at 52.84, even though she'd swam the 100 freestyle recently at a meet 49.42, significantly faster than the winning time that she lost by 3.3 seconds to. Right. The anonymous swimmer believes Thomas also wasn't giving her all in the 200-yard freestyle, which she won handily. I was on deck and said to a friend, she's literally not trying. You can just tell. It was blatantly obvious. I was watching the 200 free, and she was literally keeping pace with the other girls. She was number one in the country at one point. These are definitely talented swimmers, but they're not the caliber of being at the top of the country or anything like that. You can tell when someone is dying and they're swimming slow. You can also tell when someone is not trying. And I could see in the 200 freestyle that Leah was not trying. So... Got too much attention. More of America is waking up to how ludicrous it is to have former dudes whoop up on women, biological women in in women's sports. And so she concocts this plot to lose to a fellow transgender person. And then 
in the 200, just dogs it, dogs it, dogs it. It's it's like, you know, you in a race with your kids when they were young. Mm-hmm. Um, or just, still. Or waits till the last 25 yards, and she says, all right, kicks in the afterburner, wins. I won thousand percent believe that that is what happened ncaa how long are you going to continue your, your stupidity your I, maybe it's stupidity maybe they're terrified of the woke crowd since the universities are just just lousy with with crazed radicals but this has got to end and you know this we were talking about this it may take some former dude winning the gold medal in the olympics for everybody to yep. say, all right, that's enough. That's what I keep saying. It's going to have to happen on the big stage at the Olympics for people to finally have the guts to come forward and say, okay. And it's pretty obvious that this Leah Thomas felt that was happening on the NCAA level and so kicked it down a gear. But I have three Southern California stories I want to get on quickly. Southern California's median sale price for a home reached $700,000 last month, up 16.3% from a year earlier. The median. Yeah. Yes. Uh, L.A. County officials recommend avoid gatherings. Who is listening to officials on stuff like this at this point? And the Ninth Circuit Federal Appeals Court ruled yesterday that the coronavirus lockdown of gun stores in Ventura County was unconstitutional. Of course it was. Of course it was. The Armstrong and Getty Show urges you to seek out gatherings. Go have fun. See your friends. See your family. Live your life. You know, if you ever miss a chunk of the show, you can get it via podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Russian President Vladimir Putin has been massing troops on Ukraine's border. But when asked what Putin was going to do, Biden wasn't nearly so vague. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. He has to do something? I'd hate to see Joe as a hostage negotiator. Why don't we all just calm down? You just let everyone go, okay? Or shoot the hostages. You got to do something. I want to be home in time for Matlock. To to Colbert's credit, he's being damn near Trump-like hard on President Biden lately. Hmm. Hmm. He's been critical. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of Trump, there was a real moment last night on my favorite news show, uh, and I want to talk about that a little bit. And the reaction of the press conference, um, I, I'm not, we're not going to flog the press conference. You've heard that plenty, but the, the, some of the reaction to it was really interesting. And I think uh, I've, I've, I smell a shift in the wind or a change in the humidity or uh, the, the beasts are on the hoof or something. I don't know. <laughs> There's something going on. Oh, wow. speaking of beefs, uh, of beasts, rather, Ian Bremmer tweeted this. We all knew this was coming. The headline in the New York Times, Japan's monkey queen faces challenge to her reign, mating season. Yakai, the female macaque in a nature preserve in Japan, violently overthrew the alpha male of her troop to become its fe- first female leader in the reserve's 70-year history. She provides, I'm sorry, she presides over 677 monkeys, but a messy love triangle could endanger her status. Huh. That's interesting. For, so for uh, nigh on, uh, you know, 
70 years, a dude's been running a monkey troop, and now he got a gallon charge. You know, there's a lot of talk worldwide, certainly in Western culture, about how men are getting less manly. Uh, and not just like not throwing out their chests and wanting to box, but sperm count, testosterone yeah. count, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, grip strength. Um, so is something going on, just males general, that we're seeing there in the monkey world? That is an interesting insight slash question. A macaque without a macaque, if you will, who's running the thing? not. Good Lord. You see what I have to work with, folks? That's something there. Everybody is finally paying attention to the rampant crime in the blue states for a number of reasons. And when we're talking about the rampant train robberies in L.A., it's because of the viral video. People can't absorb an idea, I guess, until they see it. You know, you can rail against it, or you can admit admit it's part of human nature, I guess. But Gavin Mussolini, the half-wit governor of Cal Unicornia, has actually had an early dinner has actually finished his early dinner and is now pretending to be concerned about crime he's known about for months and months and months because pressure has grown on the Internet or something. Here's the lunkhead yesterday talking about the uh, the train robberies in L.A. 20, Michael, sorry. This is not one-off. This is organized theft. These are organized gangs of people that are coming out. And forgive me for saying gangs. I know that... that that, that's not a pejorative. What? They're organized groups of folks oh. that move from site to site. When there's more attention, a bright light on one site, they move to the next site. A lot of these folks are arrested as if they're individuals that are not connected to the whole. And we need to change that. If you haven't seen the pictures, videos, you got it. We have them at our website, armstrongandgetty.com. It's stunning how many of these freight cars are being robbed every single day and uh and but so back to yeah, the we'll governor we'll repost that for you. Yeah, you you jumped in at the end. That was one of the most jumbled, ridiculous, strange, colorless, meaningless lines of crap I've ever heard in my life. What was that whole apologizing for using the term gangs? Well, then the the end of it, the last third of it. Michael, just play it again. This is not one off. This is organized theft. These are organized gangs of people that are coming out. And forgive me for saying gangs. I know that. that, Why? That's not a pejorative. What? They're organized groups of folks. Here we go. That move from site to site. When there's more attention, a bright light on one site, they move to the next site. A lot of these folks are arrested as if they're individuals that are not connected to the whole. And we need to change that. Oh, now I get it. He's saying we have to approach this as an organized gang problem. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean a pejorative. What, who are you apologizing, he apologizing for, you, to, you lunkhead? Is he apologizing to Jesse James, the, the railroad thieves? Or, or the Crips? Or the, Who are you apologizing to? Who are you concerned you offended there? Anyway, uh, Rick Montañez, uh, CBS LA, reporting on the same story, 21. A stark difference at the tracks in Lincoln Heights Thursday night, just hours after a massive cleanup. Governor Gavin Newsom picked up discarded boxes along with Caltrans and other crews. There's nothing acceptable about this behavior. This comes just a week after we showed you the giant mess along the tracks. Thousands of packages stolen off Union Pacific cargo trains. Top dollar items from TVs and designer clothes 
to medical equipment and even family portraits stolen or trashed. I see what everybody's seen and asking myself what the hell is going on. I mean, look like a third world country. Yep. You're right about that. Appreciate you saying that out loud. Yeah, it's been going on for months and months. Gavi has an idea how to deal with it, but what does the railroad think is causing all this? 22. So Newsom announced a new task force promising more support for patrols, investigations, and prosecution of train thieves. It's not just arrest and walk away. You've got to do the work and then present the case and see folks prosecuted. We're going to have a special task force assigned with UP, with our local partners in LAPD and the County Sheriff's Department. We're going to be patrolling the area, working closely with that aspect of it on patrol. The problem has been growing for Union Pacific 350% year to year. UP has blamed the LADA's office policy of no cash bail for allowing crooks to be released and head back to the tracks. Everybody knows this, but it continues. What the hell is going on? Good question. And, and Greasy Gav has known it for ages, but ignored it until, you know, it became kind of a viral thing. Now he's acting all concerned and vowing to, y- y- dig this now, prosecute criminals. But whether it's uh, Eric Adams in New York or Gavin Newsom, governor of California, or uh, Lori Lightfoot, mayor in Chicago, the pendulum has started swinging back the other way. Isn't that pretty clear? I think so. It would uh, more quickly if, for instance, the mainstream media picked up stories. This is almost too horrible to share with you, but there's part of me that thinks for the good of the country and the good of of the people of the country, people need to hear stuff like this. There was a case in in, uh, Detroit, I believe it was, this guy who has a history of domestic abuse and other crimes he committed an unspeakable act of violence against the mother of his children who was pregnant with twins. Oh. He tried to burn her to death. Okay? She was terribly injured. Terribly. It's not clear if the twins are going to survive. And again, this guy has a criminal history for trying to set on fire this pregnant woman. His bond was set at. $50,000, which means if he can get $5,000 bailed together, he's back out on the street and she's terrified because we can't have mass incarceration. We, Joe, we can't incarcerate our way out of inequity. We cannot prosecute our way out of the desperation that we have. You freaking lunatics. God, these people are dangerous, man. They are dangerous. And they're lunatics. Literally dangerous. I mean, long criminal history of the guy who stabbed that poor uh, young graduate student to death in the uh, in the furniture store. Just so many of these stories. You know, and it's weird that it comes from the same crowd that that has a better every kid miss school for two years than have one kid die. You have the reverse attitude about crime. Better to have a pregnant woman uh, and her children murdered then wrongly prosecute somebody who didn't deserve it. Or even have him sit in jail for a while. Because of COVID, of course, that would be unfair. That would be inequitable. These people are freaking sick. By the way, with crime the way it is, it's amazing that, I mentioned this a little bit ago, the Ninth Circuit, which regularly does the wrong thing, did the right thing, ruled yesterday that the lockdowns of gun stores in Ventura County, California, violated constitutional rights. I'm not sure I even remember that I knew that that happened. They were able to shut down gun stores during the COVID. Wow. 
Yeah, it was one of those essential, non-essential things. And they said, wait a minute, oh, here's right. our opportunity. Right. At the very beginning, we did get into that topic. That, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. When crime is at its height and they're uh, defunding police and there are riots in the streets, they close down gun stores. How is that not a violation of your Second Amendment right? Well, obviously it is. So egregious and obvious, even the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed. So uh, speaking of politics and that sort of thing, uh, I want to follow up on something we discussed at length yesterday, which was partly, you know, in in terms of uh, the Joe Biden uh, floundering old man news conference and the challenge, the gauntlet he threw down in front of Republicans and how they handled that. I also have there is movement on the is Pluto a planet or not? There's movement on that. I do not give even a single oh, S. Oh, we got to get plant Pluto back as a planet. Do we? We got to get Pluto back as a planet. I took the test in the New York Times. You didn't? Took the test last night, me and my son. There's a test? There's a test. I guess if I'm not part of the solution, I'm part of the problem. <laughs> that and other stuff on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The fundamental question is, what's Mitch for? Mitch has been very clear. <laughs> He'd do anything to prevent Biden from being a success. I've had five Republican senators who've told me that they agree with whatever I'm talking about for them to do. But Joe, if I do it, I'm going to defeat it in a primary. So several times during the rambling, unwatchable press conference, uh, President Biden said, what are the Republicans for? What is Mitch McConnell for? And I was lamenting the fact that the big alphabet networks and the big newspapers and all didn't go straight to Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy or whatever. Say the president says he has no idea what you're for. What are you for? Well, very few did that. But on special report with Brett Baer. That ball was absolutely teed up for Mitch McConnell to hit out of the park. Let's see how he did in clip 43. So, Mr. Leader, what are you for? <laughs> well, my, my good friend, the president, got it wrong once again. Uh, I helped him pass uh, a bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, I supported in the Senate a bill to deal with China and the computer chip shortage. Uh, if the president starts acting like a moderate, like he campaigned, uh, we can do business. The reason we've not been speaking recently this year is because he adopted the Bernie Sanders prescription for America. He did that even though he got no mandate for it, a 50-50 Senate and a couple of seat majority in the House, and they, they couldn't get it through. And the reason they couldn't get it through, the American people are not for all of this. They thought they were electing uh, a moderate, if the president wants to reinvent himself and come back to the middle, we have things to talk about that we can work on together. All right, let's put that on a T-shirt. That was a terrible answer. I was disappointed in that, too. I was thinking by Nancy Pelosi would have knocked it out of the park, a question like, a question like what are Democrats for? He should have, she would have, hit three or four big-time kitchen table, large-majority issues. Or he could have rattled off all the things Republicans are for just to make the point that George, Joe Biden's saying, what are Republicans even for? 
Anything? Right. Uh, yeah, limited government, lower taxes, more personal freedom, opposing China at every turn, securing our borders. How Open long? Open schools, <sighs> you being able to get out of bad public schools and get into good ones. Eliminating CRT from our educations. How, how long would you like me to go on this? And then if you wanted to segue into the things they have already cooperated on and the fact that Joe Biden is uh, uh, was uh, allegedly a moderate and has become Bernie Sanders, that's fine if you want to follow up with that. Mitch McConnell needs to go. He needs to resign uh, with all due respect, et cetera, et cetera. He is obviously too much a creature of the Senate. I mean, that was a giant, here's your poster. What are you going to put on it? Oh, well, we've already cooperated on the infrastructure bill and uh, the Chinese chip thing. And and, and, then Joe Biden ran as a, okay, you're going to put that on your poster, are you? I just, I thought that was weak. On the other hand, one interesting aspect of Mitch's uh, appearance that caught my ear. Brett asked him a couple of questions about Donald J. Trump. And Mitch pivoted, would not even say the name, would not address the question at all. In other words, he didn't make any headlines. That's, right. That's what he did. There was no soundbite to take away from there and run a story on, which was his goal. Right. And then uh, during the panel segment, which on Brett's show uh, includes uh, Trump fans, never Trumpers, uh, uh, liberals, moderates, all sorts of people. It's the like the only modest panel or honest panel in, uh, in cable TV. Um, there were a couple of questions having to do with Trump. And Molly Hemingway of the uh, the, 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 the Federalist, um, she had an obvious opening to mention Trump and deal with Trump. The question was about uh, his influence, blah, blah, blah. She pivoted away. She did not deal with Trump whatsoever. And the fact that she deliberately didn't go there, that was the shift in the wind I was talking about before. And I think that has a lot to do with that poll that's out that shows loyalty to the Republicans' party in general or the principles is now much larger than loyalty to Trump per se, and the trend lines are moving in a pretty obvious direction. And I just, I felt like, wow, if Molly Hemingway passes on a Trump discussion, that means something. We got this text. Meatloaf is my safe word because I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Oh. Meat, don't do it. Well-crafted, friend. If you're a fan of Meatloaf music, if you're a fan of Meatloaf music, Meatloaf died overnight of COVID, they think? The guy who created the album Bad Out of Hell was killed by a bad out of hell, it would seem. Um, if you're a fan of meatloaf music, you're almost perfectly in the age group who really wishes Pluto was still a planet. Mm. The New York Times had an article about this last night, and I'm sitting at a restaurant with my son where I ordered a cheeseburger that I think the cheeseburger alone was like 1,200 calories. <whistles> What's that for? And you would, no gallbladder. I ate, I ate about half of it, but I thought, I got to stop. This is no good. But anyway, I'm sitting there. We're waiting for the food, and I got a ding on my phone, and it's in the New York Times. Uh, should Pluto be a planet? Scientists discuss. I thought this is perfect for my son because we've talked about this. So we ended up discussing at this restaurant, and it turned out there was a test in the New York Times you could take over this. <laughs> uh, with the question, one of the questions being, do you think Pluto should be considered a planet? He and I both answered yes. Now, Pluto was, a again, if you're a fan of meatloaf music, you grew up with planet Pluto as a planet. You're yes. nine planets, and the furthest one out there is Pluto. In 2006... Unrelated, but true, yes. In 2006, before my kids were born, they downgraded Pluto from a planet to something else. Do you think Pluto should be a planet is the question in the New York Times. I checked yes. 69% of respondents said yes, only 31% said no. 
Um, and they go through a couple other questions. They talk to a whole bunch of other scientists, and I thought this was kind of interesting. Their conclusion was, there's no way you can count Pluto as a planet. It's in the, uh, what is the name of that belt out there with all the The way the hell out of sphere. Yeah. The Helen Gonosphere. <laughs> but there's all kinds of chunks of ice and everything like that of various sizes. Some of them bigger than Pluto, some of them smaller. And if you count Pluto as a planet, you got to count like a hundred other things as planets. And it just it just doesn't really make any sense. You know what I'm hearing here? I'm hearing elitism here. Did anybody ask Pluto? How do you feel? What do you identify as Pluto? But what I thought was interesting was their conclusion is that if you answered yes to these questions, you're an idiot. What you're basically saying is it makes you feel more comfortable to have Pluto be on a planet because that's what you grew up with, and it's just what you kind of wish. It's sentimentality as opposed mm. to science, and that's where most of America is by far. Is I just thought that was kind of interesting on its own, away from the, the science of Pluto or whatever. 70% of New York Times readers, which are probably older, just want it to be because that's what they were taught in school. <laughs> My question is, who represents science? Oh, yeah, you really only got to ask one guy. There is one guy who can answer this question. You get Dr. Fauci on the phone and say, excuse me, Fauci, I know you're asleep, but is Pluto a planet or not? It is not. I represent science. There you go. That's why we're calling. There's no reason to ask another human being. Settled. Pluto is not a planet. Hey, if you ever miss a chunk of the Armstrong and Getty show, get Armstrong and Getty on demand. It's the podcast, wherever podcasts are distributed or armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.